So James, I really enjoyed our interview with Ken today. Um, it was a very, it was, and I think um, I want to warn everybody before they they get into the to the podcast. It, we get into the weeds a little bit this time, but yeah, this is this is for people who actually care about payment processing. Yeah, it's it's very. I think he, Ken had some really insightful information to share with everybody. So, and then I really liked your question from the field. We haven't talked about that topic in a while. Yeah, we kind of did a follow-up. And so again, this is kind of the episode for payments experts. If you care mm -hmm. about payment processing, you're going to love Ken talking about these card brand fees and how they really work on the complexity of that. And right. then I go right into, okay, how do we leverage that to make money? And right. I talk about merchant cost consulting, where you can help a merchant without switching their processing and make some money in the process. Uh, and then uh, Patty, tell us about the insiders today. Uh, we talk about some of the, uh, what I like to call interlopers who come into, who have come into the payment space. Uh, namely <laughs> toast and square um you know there's some really interesting going on goings on in this industry um and uh this is just a, a small part of that yeah i love it well before we dive in i do want to clarify that uh, neither can or his company is a paid sponsor advertiser consulting client anything like that right. just a fantastic person been in the industry for a long time and has an incredible story you're going to enjoy hearing his story so let's oh, go yes. ahead and dive right in and get started with this interview today Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. James and I are here today with Ken Musanti. How you doing, Ken? Very well. It's it, thank you, James and Patty. It's it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Oh, it's great me. to have you. You yeah. know, um, Ken and I go way back. We started uh, writing for the Green Sheet at about the same time, um, wow. twenty odd years ago. Oh, when wow. uh, I had more dark hair and Ken had more hair. <laughs> <laughs> our, our video listeners will understand that one we'll understand great. that yeah. <laughs> yeah. but anyway ken i know you've had a long and storied career in merchant services and we always like to give everybody sort of a feel for who our interviewees are so maybe if you could share some highlights of your career and also i'm interested because i never asked you this how exactly did you get into merchant services yeah so so unlike most people that fell into merchant services. I actually got into it right out of college. Oh, wow. so this okay. has been the entirety of my career. Uh -huh. but, but out of college, I went to work for Wells Fargo Bank on the issuing side okay. and, spent, and spent you know four years there. It was a wonderful place to start getting to see all aspects of the card issuing side before mm -hmm. working uh, for Wells Fargo's acquiring side, managing a tech support desk. Okay. Subsequent to that... I had the chance to start a program for a small community bank called Humble Bank. Started it, you know, set up the BIN and ICA, provisioned the account to our processor, which at the time was, was first data, uh -huh. and then brought on the sponsored ISOs, first card service international, and then electronic card systems. And as we saw the business evolve, progress, and saw where the margins were going, we said, you know, maybe we should be setting up our own our own book. And right. so we started doing additional servicing for the ISOs and then moved into having our own proprietary or, or bank-owned uh, portfolio and did that for, for 10 years under Humble Bank. At that point, the, you know, the... Founding CEO retired, a new CEO came in and said, you know, as a NASDAQ traded stock, I'm having difficulty explaining this national portfolio to potential investors. 
So he sold the merchant services side to a privately owned bank, First National Bank, Arizona, First National Bank of Nevada. They spun out Humboldt Merchant Services as a standalone company. And then I ran it for five years for them. That was a, a fabulous opportunity as right. well. Again, being a bank-owned ISO, one of the very few, mm. unfortunately, they were also very invested in the mortgage market. Mm -hmm. I so remember that. 2008, yeah. they failed. I can do an entirely new podcast on, on <laughs> how you deal with that. Yes, I bet. FDIC, and, and I have a lot of empathy with what some of the folks at SVB went through. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, wrote an article on that experience. So from there, Moneris Solutions purchased us from the FDIC. I helped with the integration into Monera Solutions. We sold out the name and the high-risk business uh, to, to Mark Gardner. And I'm very pleased that that business is, is thriving and the name lives on. And then I went and joined a, a small startup ISO called Eureka Payments, a direct-to-merchant ISO. Managed that for, for nine years. And then we had a really large payfac. And you know, one of the very first payfacts that just mm -hmm. grew mm. exponentially. And I said, that's where I want to go. And so I went to work for WePay and got to sit sidecar mm. managing you know, the scrum cycles for the development team that was building out the card present solution into WePay's card not present ecosystem mm. and did that for two and a half years. But but two and a half years at a big bank is <laughs> is a lifetime. Uh -huh, so, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> um, wonderful people had some great experiences and opportunity, but for personal reasons, my wife and I wanted to move to Napa. And so with that, because I'm very creative in, in naming my companies, I started Napa Payments and Consulting, right? So you get the theme. There's there's Humboldt Merchant Services, Eureka Payments, Napa Payments and Consulting. So I love it. All, all, he's he's She's squarely uh, situated on the left coast, James. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love so it. as Great. I said, a long and storied career. I mean, that's uh, incredible. Yeah, that's really, really, that was actually really cool. I enjoyed hearing that. That's uh, that's so interesting. I was really surprised when you said the one about managing the scrum cycles for the developers. I was like, good night. You've done everything in the industry. <laughs> you know, that, that, that really has, you know. I and, specifically wanted that type of an assignment so that yeah. I could I could understand how the sausage was made. Yeah, I love it. That's great. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Well, you know, um, James, I asked I asked Ken here today um, because he's really good at explaining complex things. <laughs> and that's a good thing uh, on a podcast. So. That's always great on a podcast. And he and I just got done doing a series of uh, retrospectives about the banking industry, about the card industry, since we were old timers and all. And in one of these articles, Ken raised the issue of fees that are assessed to merchants beyond interchange, the non-interchange fees, right. you know. Um, and I thought this was, uh, you know, this whole concept of pass-through fees is really compelling. We've talked about this a lot. Yeah. But and especially in an environment that we have now where everybody's focused on interchange, got to get rid of interchange. We've got to, you know, curb interchange. Um so Ken, I'd like you to kind of explain to me and 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 our audience and James, um, you know, what are these card network non-interchange pass-through fees and how do they get assessed? 
Sure. So a good good place to start. So when you think about a merchant's costs, mm-hmm. there are three components to their costs. Whether they're charged that way or not, there are three components. First, and the one that we always talk about is interchange. Right. It's the largest. It's paid entirely to the card issuing banks. It's publicly available. It's reversed in the instance of a return or a chargeback. Mm-hmm. Second is what's paid to the processor. It, the, you know, the take rate commonly thought sure. of as, as what your net revenue is. Think discount fee, authorization fee, chargebacks and the like. Mm-hmm. The third and the subject to today's podcast are the non-interchange pass-through fees. And we're going right. to use that a lot. So I might be deferring to the acronym of NIPTF. Now, these fees are so little talked about that they don't even have their own name, right? We're, we're right. calling them what they're not, non-interchange pass-through fees. And, and although they represent the smallest component, at least for the small merchants, right? Um, they are the fastest growing and, and the least understood. Right. These fees are paid entirely to the card network, and there's not a publicly available schedule for these fees. Hmm. So just some some background or basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and my understanding is, is that the nomenclature is different as well, right? In terms of the... What the particular fees are, yeah. So, I mean, there's over 100 different types of these. Or, wow. Or, you know, items in here. And so, yeah, there there's several different categories of these non-interchange pass-through fees. Mm. Yeah. So it's kind of funny, Ken. One of the reasons I was excited to talk to you about this when I saw the questions, um, I had a, a very funny, uh, interesting story to share. So uh, when we launched ISOAMP, which is the largest statement analysis uh, company, um, you know, when I launched it several years back, we got to the point where we had created what we call matching rules. Okay. So a matching rule is basically where a non-developer is able to go in and we have all the criteria. So we can use regular expressions and say, look for a name that includes this, but doesn't include that and has a rate of this to this. And, uh, you know, is on this type of statement, whatever, right. Any of the criteria you want. And then we could say, match it to this particular category. Well, <clears throat> you know, when I actually, decide. I was like, all right, I got to like personally go in. I didn't have a big team at that point. So I'm like, I'm going to go in and like build a bunch of these rules. So I literally checked into a local hotel because I have four kids. Oh, I remember when you did that. Yes. So I checked into a local (laughs) hotel and I'll tell you what, Ken, I thought I understood these fees that we're discussing today until that three day stretch. And then I realized I did not. There were so many of them. It was unbelievable. You mentioned a hundred. And I think at that time I knew about 25 of them, you know, and then I found the other 75 <laughs> and was trying to figure out what in the world they were. So talk to us about, one thing I'm curious is, talk to us about kind of, you know, we have Visa, MasterCard, Discover, we have American Express, you know, like, are they all kind of similar in this or what are the ways that they're different? Talk a little bit about that if you would. Yeah, I, I want to uh, query you separately about checking into a hotel to getting away from your, <laughs> getting away from your wife and kids. <laughs> talk, to, talk to my wife about it. She's the, she's the, she was the real hero of that story. That was of like, course the hotel was sure. literally down the street too, right? <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, but yeah. So that was that but was still. a very that was very interesting. But I didn't go home. I was there for like three days and and you know three nights getting it done. So yeah, that was that was all my wife's uh, doing there. So. And and, okay. and he left her with four kids. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Under the it's... age of about ten, right? <laughs> Yeah. So the problem that you just described, though, is something that many processors haven't figured out. Right. And 
not all of these fees are being properly passed on to the end merchant or mm. or to the platform. And some ISOs are not getting what their actual NIPTFs are. They're getting an mm. average based mm. on sure. whatever the mm -hmm. processor chooses to average them over because right. these you know the, the number of these fees are growing. And with some of these legacy processors, they're not necessarily able to either keep up with or calculate the same way that these fees are actually applied mm -hmm. to the merchant. Mm -hmm. These, you know, backing up, NIPTFs are not new, right? Right. The number sure. of categories has expanded enormously. Right. If you go back to before the card networks were publicly traded, the these fees were almost 90% the assessments, at least in the US, right? They were, uh -huh. they were nine basis points. Since then, the fee for assessments has gone up to 13 to 50 basis points. Uh -huh. And then they've added monthly fees, which is distinct for Visa and MasterCard. Right. Mm -hmm. Authorization related fees in there, mm -hmm. behavior modification fees in there, cross-border fees in there. And then they've got these fees because we can fees in there. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And so, and the total amount that or the percentage charged to merchants has effectively doubled over that period of time for most merchants, right? Some merchants are, are wildly skewed uh, above that. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It's well, you know what? Let's, that's a great segue. Let's talk about that a little bit. So, one of the main categories that we see on the statement analysis side is these international assessments. Um, I can't tell you how many times we've had a client reach out to our team and say, you messed up the analysis because you're showing that the 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 car brand fees are you know half a percent or whatever, and there's no way it's that high. It's marked up because they don't understand that there actually is a fee that's charged by the card brands that's like one percent of volume for these international in some cases. Can you talk a little bit about how the card brands kind of treat international and and what these assessments are like? Well, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds about about you know, international transactions on this call. But I do want to talk a little bit about how the NIPTF is applied in the case of U.S. merchants accepting cards from right. uh, non-U.S. cardholders. And in that case, you're right. There's there's a fee, approximately 1%, both Visa and MasterCard have them, for accepting these cross-border fees, right? That's one of the newly introduced categories, or at least introduced since the card networks went private and said, you know, there's probably, a, you know, probably some income that we could be making off of these. And if you think about the types of these NIPTFs that, that, that they're out there, one, the assessments, right, based on volume. Second one that you have is based on the number of transactions, right? Both Visa and MasterCard have authorization related ones. Um, Visa charges, you know, roughly a half cent less for debit than they do for credit. MasterCard charges the same and and you know to just quantify that 1.95 cents for visa mastercard um on credit visa has a reduction to 155 on debit in addition to that you have the monthly fee or location fee you know mastercards is constant at a buck and a quarter per month for the location visa has this wild schedule and yeah. and have you guys heard of the term FANF? Oh, 100%. We, oh, we yes. deal with it all the time. Yeah, the FANF table. We, we, it's funny, Kim, we had a merchant, um, 
maybe three or four months ago and a client that reached out and was like, what you guys, what in the world? You, there's a thousand dollar fee on here from Visa. And you're saying that that's a true pass through. There's That does not exist. We had to send them the fan of table and show them it was a card not present merchant that did like 60 million and buy or something like that. It was something crazy. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. the fixed acquirer network fee, yep. right? And at the extreme, the, you know, that fee could be $70,000 a month, right? For the very yep. largest merchants. Um, and it, the the schedule, right? You talk about the visa schedule. It's dependent on the, the MCC, right. the card method, the volume, lunar cycle, and Taylor Swift ticket prices, right? It's got <laughs> a huge set of contingencies. Right. I mean... That's one of the dependencies that, that's like, okay, how can a, a legacy acquire incorporate all of those things into drilling right. that out to the end merchant. Hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And sometimes they can't. Right. So, so, so just um, let me, let me just finish this thought oh, yeah, sure. and I'll come back to you. Uh -huh. But so you think about the categories, right? So there's the monthly fee, the transactional fee, then there's the exception fees for things we talked about cross-border, right? There's, right. there's certain uh, of these NMPTFs that only apply to certain MCCs. Um, or dispute. And then there's the behavior modification fees that exist out there. Okay, think of think of taxes on cigarettes and alcohol designed right, sure. to, to change the behavior. And within those, there's there's several different categories. You, you have the the fees around authorization fidelity, you know, transactions not matched to an authorization, mm -hmm. auth not properly reversed, or reattempting an auth after a hard decline. And then mm -hmm. you have things like uh, fees around the, the dispute related items, like allowing, oh, this is a good one. Do you know that you can get an NIPTF if you have too many pages associated with your dispute? Wow, that one I did not know about. That's a new wow. one. If you I I too like many pages. pages, you will get an extra an extra fee. And then there's you, you know um, the outdated technology. If you're using MagStripe, you're going to get an NIPTF. Yep, that one I knew you about. You should, to be honest, yeah. you should get an NIPTF. Yeah, that one I, that one seems pretty logical. You know, you've talked a lot about Visa MasterCard, but what about the other card networks like Discover and, and Amex? Are there similar things there? Yeah. So so without getting too deep into them, they all have them. I uh -huh. think the biggest distinction is that that Amex and Discover don't have the clout to charge for the monthly fees. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Sure, because they don't have enough. What about what about the, the um what about the pin debit networks? How, you know, we we kind of always lump all those together as just pin debit pass through. But like, right, do you do right. you consider that a similar kind of thing? Can I know they have some different things like that? You know. Yeah. So you see, you've probably seen some of the pin debit networks. They have annual fees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, twenty dollars. Try to explain that to a merchant. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I don't right. want to take this pin debit network. Okay. Right. And, and a lot of times it's crazy because we'll look back and it's like they haven't even done any volume on Shazam or whatever it is, and, and, they're, a $20 and they're paying that fee. monthly fee. Yeah. 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 And right, a so lot that, of it is because they don't even understand how to use pin debit, to be honest. I mean, right. Sure. You know, um, tell me in terms of particulars, do pay facts, uh, pay these fees? And what about like single rate merchants? How does it apply to them? Yeah. So, so it doesn't apply to micro merchants. So if you're okay. under $200 on Visa MasterCard on a monthly basis, you're not going to see that, but it does apply to pay facts. Now, with that said, not all Payfex are, are properly digesting that, um, but they do get these fees. And when those fees get go up, the Payfax is either going to absorb that or they're going to have to increase the single rate to the end merchant. Mm -hmm. um, in the context of, of a single rate merchant, 
you know, those fees tend to be higher, but they do encompass not only the, I guess, the higher interchange rates, but right. also the NIPTFs the, that exist out there. Sure. Yeah, I could see that. Sure. Now, how do processors manage the fees? I Not mean, that as has well to be as you a would major. think. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, again, there's there's over a hundred different items that are out there, and and some some platforms are are averaging them or not passing them along uh, in a in a proper basis. And I think that's what what ISO should be looking at is okay. I understand that part of my Schedule A costs are these pass through fees, but they should be looking at to make sure that they're not subsidizing another portfolio that perhaps has way more international merchants than they have. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and well, and you know, the other thing we haven't talked about yet, Ken, that I, I think I, I'm sure you see a lot is, you know, it'd be one thing if you could trust that every time you looked at a, a payment processing statement or a residual report, that everything that was listed as pass-through was pass-through. Right. But we both know that's not the case at all. Right. And so, right. yeah. And so I think, I think anytime you have complexity, I think, especially in our industry, there's going to be certain processors that will uh, leverage that complexity in order to slide in some additional margin undetected. Um, what are your thoughts on that practice? I mean, that's something I've, I've personally seen that really you know, over the last kind of three or four years, I've seen a lot more of that that's coming. You know, it used to be just, oh, there's markup on the interchange table. I mean, it's almost, it's so common now. Our system mm -hmm. has an algorithm that can recognize it automatically and then sort it out. But but then it's really tough with the card brands uh, and, and things because it's it's so complex. And like you mentioned, so many variables. Well, I guess we need to separate intentional dishonesty from a complexity that their system can't manage. Mm, and so setting aside intentional dishonesty, right? If you right. if you're working with a dishonest partner, stop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. You shouldn't be. Yeah. yeah. So um but on the other side of that, if you're working with a processor that says, look, there's some complexity here and I'm not fully able to give you a one for one um I'm not able to to properly pass down to you exactly what the costs are. Hmm. However, I'm willing to share the methodology that I'm using to, right. to give you the mm -hmm. transparency into it. That's hmm. not an unfair place to be, right? You can sure. understand sure. that that there there are some limitations with the legacy processors, and if you're working with a good partner, they'll be open to you. At the same time, if you are seeing some, uh, you know, outsized NIPTFs, because perhaps the, you know, the mother portfolio has far more international or merchants serving international cardholders than you, mm -hmm. or um, perhaps some merchants that perhaps are a different risk type and as a result are receiving a larger share of these NIPTFs. Then I think there's a, a potential opportunity to question the methodology, hmm. you know, in a, a good, honest discussion. Uh, let me give you a good example. I recently had a client, a very large merchant, and, and they were paying the equivalent of a Tesla every month. <laughs> oh my gosh. In excessive and IPTFs. Now, their processor was not doing them any favors at all. They're they're their processor was was doing them a a disservice. 
they had really good rates. I mean, very attractive rates, but but they were, as I said, paying a extra and enormously large bill to the NIPTFs. Visa, Mastercard loved them. I mean, I, I don't I know. They should be getting gift baskets, right, regularly from Visa <laughs> and Mastercard over this. In essence, what was happening is they were not accepting the dispute items that that they had initially pushed back on. And as a result, they were dropping into arbitration. And with every one of those items, Visa charged $500 and MasterCards charged $420. In every case, they were losing the arbitration, but because they did not accept the dispute before it went into arbitration, Mm -hmm. their processor allowed that, that process to continue and they got hit with these very enormous NIPTFs. Hmm. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah that's it a- absolutely is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Well, so I guess last question here, and then and then I definitely want to learn more, uh, you know, for our audience about what you do and how they might potentially even work with you, or kind of what partnerships and connections you're looking for. But before we get to that, maybe you could share with us any final tips that you have for the ISOs and agents, right? So we've shared mm-hmm. all this information. Obviously, it's way too much to cover in one podcast interview. I'm sure we could do seven or eight of them. But, um, you know, as they're seeing these, uh, you know, card brand type fees, network fees, network access, brand usage, assessments, all these things, what should they be doing? Any any tips or kind of action steps that our audience should kind of take away from this discussion? Sure. So I, I think the first is to understand the abbreviations and nomenclature of NIPTS, right? They can get with, with you and your company and say, hey, can you give me the description of all of the NIPTFs that you have within your system. Okay. And mm-hmm. you should, you know, you can, I'm assuming, be able to provide something like that if they, if they can't, there are resources that they're able to get some. I mean, of that I mean now I'm going to have to, because you just said that they're all going to reach out to me, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. We, he we has lots of like programmers. They'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to be calling somebody right after this. Hey, we got to put this list together that Ken told everybody we had. No, I'm just kidding. James, I have high expectations for you, right? <laughs> I, I've heard such great things about Thank you. you that yeah, well. I'm confident that you can be able to get, to get that to them. Excellent. And, and, to, and to understand that these are different from interchange, that right. they're not right. going to be returned back in the event of a credit or a chargeback, right? So, so And they can't be negotiated. Be, yeah. They're, they're, well, if you're Chase Bank, you can't. It's a whole different yeah. topic. Right. Good luck on that, right? <laughs> but Other normally than, they can't be negotiated. <laughs> they're, they're not negotiable. And because of the way that, that the industry is evolving, these are becoming a bigger component of the expenses. We, we always talk about interchange and, and how insidious interchange is, but these fees are becoming a much larger component. So, so understand those. Uh, James, you brought up a good point about the type of merchant that, that you're getting, right? If it's, is it serving international cardholders, right. potentially, you know, be, being aware of that and then understanding the driver behind these. And I, and I talked about the different drivers behind those. So they should have a have an understanding on that. And then the methodology that their processor is using to pass those on. I think that's what yeah, that's important. Yeah. ISO and merchant can do to one, understand, and then two, to, to minimize these fees, especially on the behavior modification ones, right? Yeah. Try to, to figure out a way to, to avoid those. Yeah, you know, the, the good news too, I mean, you know, circling back to my uh, three-day stint in a hotel to figure this out, you know, when I went on Google and I searched for the fees as they came up, I mean, it took a little searching to get this all because, you know, different processors call it different things. But I mean, 
there are really good resources out there. I mean, you can look it up and it's, even though it's not exactly public record from Visa, it does exist online somewhere, usually with some kind of an explanation of what's causing this. And, and if you're like me and I'm sure I can as well, you're probably gonna be very surprised when you realize what these are. And you, I remember Ken, so many, probably 30 different types of fees. I thought, oh, this is just some bogus fee the processor threw on there. You know, I never saw that before. Looked it up. Nope, sure enough, it was actually a fee from Visa or actually from MasterCard for, you know, the integrity fee or whatever it was that I, you know, didn't know about. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of good resources. So, um, Ken, this has been so insightful. Before we let you go, tell us a little bit more about really what you're doing and maybe how our audience could learn more um, and, and maybe potentially work with you on some things you're doing. So give us an update on that if you would. I, I will, but offline, I, I got to convince my wife to let me go to a hotel in Vegas for three days to. <laughs> so. Good luck with that. Let Good me know luck. how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, just one of the projects that I'm I'm working through right now, and and, and hopefully I can share a, a more about this at a separate event with the both of you, is, is trying to understand the impact that's going to be had on the industry through Visa's offering of direct authorizations to to you know ISOs and acquirers. I think that's going to have mm. a lasting and significant impact on mm. a, you know a lot of folks, processors, chief among those. But yeah. that will be interesting to see how that plays out. And I'm doing some some deep dive there. In regards and, and to you, my, can business, you give our give our audience the 30 second version of like what what is that? What are you what are you describing? Yeah. So, so currently if you wanted to buy an authorization, you know, mm -hmm. you know, connect to a front end platform, you're going to one of the traditional platforms, you're going right. to global, you're going to TSIS, um, Fiserv or FIS. Mm -hmm. Well, now you can actually go direct to Visa mm -hmm. and integrate into Visa to obtain an authorization to then connect with your backend for settlement. And is, is MasterCard following suit and doing something similar? Or are you saying you can run everything through Visa? Like, I'm assuming that's only for Visa transactions, right? It's for both Visa and MasterCard transactions. Oh, really? Wow. That's so interesting. So this is so cool. I'm going, wow, we, yeah, we, have to, really, we need we, another episode about another this. Another episode I, just for this, right? Yeah, I was talking to somebody about it recently, and and I was trying to wrap my head around it. And it's like, okay, I didn't quite get it. So that we need to talk about that. So go ahead, continue on. What, what else do you got for us? Yeah, so so that's, uh, um, that's a current, I guess, um, work that, that I'm doing today and would love to come back and share more as I'm able to sure. um, dive deeper into that topic. Patty talked a little bit about the I guess semi-self-indulgent series of articles that I'm writing for the green sheet. And so <laughs> uh, um, the retrospectives, it's going to be a three-parter. The first one's already dropped. The other two are coming out. But, but um, I shared a little bit about my history when I first started, right? And I've got very deep pragmatic, practical experience on many different sides of the payments industry, right? Yes, working as an ISO, working within a bank, working with integration and certification, um, and then working with high risk as well as main street merchants. So my consulting practice is very steeped within the pragmatic, practical. Um, I also do quite a bit of expert witness testimony for individuals mm. and, and entities that have disputes within the payment space. So very steeped within the rules and very good at understanding how to counsel entities, how to avoid certain types of actions that I've seen, unfortunately, play out within the uh, legal circle. I've, I've been an expert witness for both 
civil and criminal cases oh, okay. that have been brought to forth by uh, the U.S. Department of Justice. Um, so that's where I, I think I'm very steeped and could mm -hmm. assist folks where I, where I don't necessarily play, right? Folks that uh, maybe with some of the big consulting groups that do very polished um, slide decks, not necessarily yeah. my yeah. my forte, but in terms of the pragmatic, the practical, um, yeah. and the experience. Getting down in the trenches with the uh, yeah. with the. That's where techies. I'm able to assist platforms, large merchants, um, and entities looking to uh, better great. optimize their business and think about how to increase their profitability while at the same time retaining and optimizing their their asset value. So for those yeah. who are interested in that and like, that's what I need, I need to talk to somebody that's got this kind of payments expertise, where would they go to learn more about you and your consulting practice? So thanks for asking. So certainly on LinkedIn, you know, Ken Masante, as well as my my website. Again, it's it's a long name, but it's not a complex one, but uh, NapaPaymentsAndConsulting.com. NapaPaymentsAndConsulting.com. Ken, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Really appreciate your experience in the industry and sharing your insights with our audience today. I, I learned a few things and I know our audience did as well. So thank you. Yeah, thanks a bunch, Ken. I learned a lot. So, thank you. Thank you, Patty. It's, it's <laughs> a pleasure connecting with you as always. Hey everybody, this episode is sponsored by Nativia Banking and there is a Nativia Business Conference that I am going to. I'm going to be uh, you know, moderating a panel, I think the very first panel uh, of the conference actually, but uh, October 9th and 10th, it's in Miami. It's at the Seminole Guitar Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. Very cool. If you've never seen it before, just Google Seminole Guitar Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. Probably the coolest shaped building in the world. Um, oh, really? It's, uh -huh. Literally, it's a hotel that's it, shaped like a guitar. Like a guitar? Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Can I stay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So yeah. check it out. It's, again, I know it's coming up really quick when, as we air this, but um, if you're in the area, stop by, definitely come say hello to me. They're going to be, uh, they have experts there from, uh, they have people coming from MasterCard. They have somebody that's the director of payments and FinTech at Google. Uh, you know, a bunch of other people in the industry, obviously Vlad from the TV will be there. Um, head of acquiring at Cross River. I'm just looking at a bunch of these managing director at UBS bank. Wells Fargo will be there. Obviously I'll be there. Many, many others. So lots of people, uh, Oh, somebody from plaid is going to be there. So they've got kind of a, they've really assembled a bunch of experts from kind of across the payments ecosystem. Yes. Um, and so it's not really just a Nativia event, although obviously they'll have Nativia things there. Uh, my company, Icewamp is going to have a booth there as well. Okay. Um, but just something to come check out. So if you really want to see that, go over to conference.nativia.com. So it's conference.nativia.com. Check out uh, the conference, register for it, come check it out, and uh, make sure you're there on the 10th of October and say hello to me after my panel discussion. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So Patty, today I want to talk about a uh, a topic that I, I I talked about maybe a year and a half, two years ago called merchant cost consulting. I thought it yeah, just kind of went, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, mm -hmm. it went, I think it goes really well with the interview we did today, which is very much in the weeds and talking about right. kind of a payments expertise. And you know, the reason I thought it would be good today is this. If you listen to that interview that we just did and you were like, 
I like that. That was really interesting, right? Or, and, or you said, I actually understood some of that. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, if you were what the heck, you probably aren't going to enjoy this segment. Right. Either, okay? That's true. But <laughs> if, if you like the first part, okay. You know, one of the issues I find, Patty, and it's a growing trend is that there are these payments experts out there, payments professionals that are in on the sales side, the distribution side of the industry. Mm-hmm. And they've gotten to this point where they just kind of are like, well, you know, what am I going to do? I'm out here, I'm selling, you know, pizza shops and, and uh, retail stores and, and, re- and, and you know, and uh, auto repair. And I'm selling them on point of sale systems. And it's like, you're selling them on flat rate pricing or right. dual price. Or whatever, and you're kind of like, what do I do with all this like payments expertise? You know, mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. not really, I'm not, not re- really being utilized. And one of the things that um, I'm so passionate about that I, I really believe, and we're actually, I've been, uh, I'm kind of teasing this here, but we're working on some technology that's going to empower the industry to, to facilitate this in next year. But but, you know, there's this whole other world called merchant cost consulting. And it's this idea right. where when you go to larger merchants, okay, mm-hmm. you can help them reduce their cost with their current processor. Right. Okay. And this can be two ways you generate revenue off of this model. Um, the first way is a fee-based model. This can either be where you take up certain percentage of the savings that you provide to them, or you mm-hmm. charge them X per month for your for your consulting expertise. Um, but then the other thing is, of course, it can be a gateway long term to actually getting the merchant processing business. Right. As well. Sure. Sure. So once their contracts up, but you know, you're going to find. I think. I think there's several trends coming together right now that make this very interesting to me. Um, mm-hmm. And which is why we're putting some money into building some tech around it. So the first trend is again this idea that payments expertise is mainly needed for these larger merchants. Right. However, and it might say large, I mean, really anybody doing over a quarter of a million dollars a month in processing right now, um, you know, yeah. this is something where this is meaningful. If, if you understand what we just talked about, you understand interchange optimization, things of that nature, right. you know, and you can identify, hey, there's markup here, there's optimization here, there's thing, you know, there's things you can do to stop getting charged this particular car brand fee or whatever. Um, that can be very meaningful. You know, a merchant doing 250000 a month in processing, you might be able to save them several thousand dollars a month, if not more, if you know what you're doing in, in the payment space without them switching um, providers. So, right. And, and and they'll be really happy and maybe down the road, you'll right. get their business. Yeah. You get the right. And, and in the meantime, you charge them 500 bucks a month right. for your consulting, right? And, and every month you're going to check their statement. Thousand a month. Right. right. It's a kind of a no brainer. Um, but the other trend, Patty, that I'm noticing that I think is really impactful here is with integrated payments, you know, getting a merchant, especially a medium to large merchant to switch processing mm-hmm. is a really, really big deal. It's a yeah. big ask. You know, you're going in right. there and saying, hey, I know you're doing, you know, $7 million a month in processing across 20 locations and you've got point of sale systems installed at all 20 that only integrate with this one processor. How about we switch? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you mean? You, you're going to have to like replace all the point of sale systems. And, you know, it's a big ask. Big ask. Right. And so what's interesting is it's much easier to say, hey, what I do is I charge you know, 500 bucks a month, a thousand bucks a month, whatever. And I work with merchants to decrease their costs with their current company. I also do have processing partners that I can recommend if necessary, but that's not my objective. My objective is just to lower your cost of card Help acceptance. Help you save money. Right. Through expertise. And for those of you that have never done it before, the thing I love about it is it is literally the easiest business ever to get into. I mean, just go to a medium to large merchant and tell them this and tell them that it's 500 bucks a month, make a little word document or whatever. And, uh-huh. and, it's, yeah. and then from there, the cool thing about it is now with tools like ISOAMP, uh, the company I own, you know, you go to head over to get ISOAMP.com, you know, we leverage these things where you can upload their statement and get it broken down in a spreadsheet. 
Now you're going to have to do some things with that spreadsheet because it's designed for a sale. It's not right. designed for consulting. And that's what we're going to be hopefully rolling out down the road. But, but, you know, you're going to have to do some things to that spreadsheet. But if you're a payments expert, that's easy. You know exactly what to right. do. Every right. month you get paid 500 bucks to sit down for 30 minutes, look over the spreadsheet, analyze it. Now, initially you work with them on contract negotiations and let's reach out to your processor. Here's what you need to do. So there's a lot of different degrees with this, but the main thing I want to point out today quickly, Patty, is I just want people thinking about this. Yes. yes. It should be in the back of your mind. Again, if you're somebody that listened to that interview and you said, oh, I like that. That sounded interesting. There are, I promise you, there are 50 businesses very near you with a headquarters within two hour drive from you, at least 50 to hundred businesses that do a lot of payment processing, okay? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. those businesses would probably all be willing to pay 500 bucks a month, a thousand bucks a month to somebody who really knows their stuff and understands how to work with a processing company, not to switch them, but just to get them back to their negotiated contract rates, right. to identify interchange optimization, to remove non-interchange prices and, and fees that are unnecessary, like all of that. So just keep that concept on your radar screen mm -hmm. so that mm -hmm. you start thinking about that the next time you interact with a really large merchant, if you're a payments expert, and then stay tuned and hopefully I'll have some interesting and exciting things to announce in 2024 about what I'm doing along those lines to kind of empower the industry. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. So James, uh, small business users of Square and Cash App uh, found themselves in a lurch for the better part of a day, and even actually into the weekend after that, back right. in early September. Thousands of merchants uh, were unable to process payments for, like I said, better part of September 8th and into the weekend that followed that. I I went on um, a couple of social media sites to see what people were right. saying about it, and um they were unhappy. <laughs> they were not happy, but the most the thing that they were most unhappy about was lack of communication. Yeah, always. It's all that's always. what it always is. Right? Here's one guy said, I don't think the outage is the issue, it's the lack of communication. Right. Another one, uh, no announcements, no notifications, no updates, and they shut down all lines of communication. This yep. is a big deal. You know, I mean, people were yep. and those were the nicer ones that I picked out because I didn't want to embarrass anybody but, right you know, right right yeah as an aside um i gotta know i i must note that in the comments i was one of the places i went to was called down detector they detect you know they right. run stats for all the websites that are down and there was uh an agent in there every uh 10 or 15 comments she put in hey it's really bad but this doesn't happen to have to happen to you again and yeah. I was like really impressed. It's like, yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny, Patty. I think I actually know who that is. So I think that, I think that I, agent, I, I was talking to them uh, uh, like a few days ago with one of my consulting clients. So I think I know who that is. I, uh -huh. I don't know. At least I know an agent who was doing this. So I wonder yeah, it could one. be. It, it, it could yeah. very well be because yeah. I think that, you know, there's a, probably a lot of ISOs and agents out there that are calling on local square merchants. Absolutely. If they aren't, they should be, you know, right. right. Um, because, you know, it's something I'd be considering if I were out there. Yeah. Um, now, apparently the leadership at Block, which is Square's parent, um, was concerned about concerned enough about the optics and the potential loss of clients. Um, they said the problem was a DNS, you know, domain name system 
malfunction. Yeah. But uh, soon after the fix was announced, Block said uh, Square's CEO, Alyssa Henry, would be stepping down in early October. Jack Dorsey, the tattooed entrepreneur, I can't help it. The first time I ever saw him, he had tattoos on both arms and he was wearing a short sleeve shirt. Speaking, yep. speaking to an acquirer's association. <laughs> yeah, that sounds exactly like Jack Dorsey. That's exactly yeah. like Jack, you know. So he's going to be taking over the added duties now of Square CEO. Now, speaking of leadership shifts, Chris Comparado, is that how you pronounce it? The CEO of the uh, restaurant tech provider, um, Toast. Right. Is stepping down, uh, being replaced by co-president and CEO, Aman Narang, who's also, um, you know, been been at the helm for a while. Uh, No reason was given for the departure, but you'll recall that Toast had its own issue with optics back in June when it announced that 99 cent customer fee um, for orders placed through its online ordering channels. While the fee was eventually scrapped, um, it didn't occur until after there was an uproar. Right. Pretty And and again, a a lack of communication as well. Again, a massive lack of communication. Now, during an earnings call in August, the uh, CEO described uh, the move as a mistake. Yeah, you think so? Right, right. <laughs> you know, it's funny, Patty. I, I still, in retrospect, uh, I talked to a CEO of a c- competitor recently. And right. I still am scratching my head over that whole thing. I mean, it, you know. It's just the way they did it, James, you know. Well, but, but here's the thing I scratched my head over. They did all of this and took all this risk. For what? The, the, right. it, it's not. It wasn't a 99 cent charge on every order. No. It was a 99 cent char- charge for online orders through the Toast platform, which makes up like 3% of the I was going to say maybe 10%, but It's yeah. not even close to that because most yeah. people still order through DoorDash and Uber Eats, which they integrate right. w- without, they don't have a per uh, transaction fee on those. It was just the people that order the through toast. the Toast yes. thing. Channels. And it's like, yes. why would you go through all of that? I, I can't remember. I did the math on That's... it. They, they're, they're publicly traded and it was a, 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 a trivial amount of revenue that they would have yes. gotten, even if they would have pulled it off, which of course they had to pull it back. So I'm still scratching my head. I still scratch my head. And I remember when you were trying to do the math on that and it was like, it just wasn't minuscule. a big, I can't remember what it was, but for them, it was, it was like, I, I, yeah, I don't remember either, but for, you know, yeah, given what the company maybe a half a million dollars a month or something like that. I can't remember yeah. the numbers, but it was, it was very trivial for toast. I mean, it wasn't yes. a game changer at all. And, you know, to me, it's like, well, if you're going to, if you're going to, you know, risk the wrath of the whole industry, you might mm-hmm. as well make some money while you're doing it. So I don't know. I, I was a little, right. my, the, my pragmatism was offended by that move. Well, you especially know? <laughs> for a company like toast that, you know, they claim they're on, they're on track to generate more than a billion dollars in revenue this year. Well, right. Okay. And so, so something so where it's going to generate like half a million a month or whatever, it's just not a big deal. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but here's something interesting, James. While I was researching the changes at Toast, yeah, I came across a press release from the tech giant Oracle. Okay. Okay. Now, I had no idea they have a food and beverage unit. Okay. Who knew that? But um, right. they are rolling out a new restaurant management platform called Oracle Restaurants. That the way to describe it, it's it is a direct competitor with Toast. Really? Yeah. They said they were developed. They developed it for independent restaurants. It oh. includes POS hardware and software, payment processing, and online ordering, all for one monthly fee. Yeah. Well, 
no surprise there. People see the kind of money that can be made. They see the kind the, of money that know. can be made. Why not? I mean, yeah. you know, we talk a lot about ISVs, right? Well, you right. know, that's what Oracle works with. I mean. Right. And so now Oracle is going to create basically their own ISV. And, uh, you know, and, and a lot of, I'll tell you what it is, uh, Patty, a lot of it, we're, we'll see more and more of this. It's a, it's a lot like um, back when the dot-com thing was happening mm -hmm. and yeah. you'd have like, you know, Toys R Us or these other companies where they right. would literally spin off and make a ToysRUs.com or what they'd make their .com and they would do it as a separate company just because the valuations on a .com were so much bigger than right. the valuations on a traditional business. And so today you look at Oracle, I haven't looked at them lately, but I'm sure their price to earnings ratio is pretty low. I'm sure they're, they're, yeah. they're at old term, old time old, cash old cow. school, right? Yeah. Right. And so now they're like, well, wait a second, we're going to start Oracle restaurant and we're going to have the same business model as Toast. Well, Toast price to earnings ratio is ridiculously high, right? Because it's like all these expectations. So I think you're going to see a lot of companies. They just they want to get the stock price, the organizational value. Oh, yeah, out. I think you're right. Yeah. I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't surprise me to see, you know, several of these of like old school tech companies yep. trying to get yeah. get in on it. So very interesting. Well, thanks for the update and all that. A lot, a lot of things happening in the payments world right now. That's for oh, sure. Oh, there are indeed. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.